Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Ah. The comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car-selling command center, thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crowe portrays an ex-homicide detective unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. Welcome to episode 253 with my guest, Lisa Laurie. I'm Paul Gilmartin. This is the Mental Illness Happy Hour, a place for honesty about all the battles in our heads from medically diagnosed conditions, past traumas, and sexual dysfunction to everyday compulsive negative thinking. This show is not meant to be a substitute for professional mental counseling. It's not a doctor's office. I'm not a therapist. It's more like a waiting room that doesn't suck. The uh, the newly redesigned website for this show is uh, mentalpod.com. Uh, Go there, check it out. Uh, there's, we're still doing a couple of tweaks to it, but uh, mostly it's uh, it's completely ready. And uh, you can fill out surveys, which I uh, might possibly read on the on the air. It's uh, I like to think of the surveys as kind of the uh, the third guest of the uh, of the show. It's uh, it's such an integral part of it. And um, on this today is actually uh, Thanksgiving. This is going to air in about six hours, which would be the day after. But um, I'm so grateful for um, for so many things. Um, but you know, as I mentioned, the surveys. I just think how grateful I am at how much you, the listener, have jumped in and participated in the survey and helped me get to know um, the the stuff that sometimes we can only share anonymously because it's so painful to say out loud. Um, I'm, I'm just, uh, there's so many things that, I, that I'm, that I'm grateful for. And, um, Oh, let me finish telling her about the website. So you got the surveys there. You can support the show financially there. Um, you can make a donation or shop through our Amazon search portal. Um, you can read blogs or guest blogs or join the forum. So go check it out, mentalpod.com. And mentalpod is also the Twitter uh, handle that you can follow me at. But anyway, uh, yesterday I was in a really good mood and... Uh, and then I watched the uh, the video of seventeen uh, year old Laquan McDonald uh, being shot by by police, 
and um, it, I posted something on um, on Twitter, and I, because I I felt compelled to say something, and a woman tweeted back. Um, because one of the things that I do sometimes when there's a news story uh, is I'll look and go to various news organization websites and see how much weight they're giving it. And this, to me, was a story that should have been front page news, large headlines. I mean, here's a kid who was, um, uh, here's his side, uh, his here's his part in it. He was high on PCP and he had a knife and he was slashing car tires. Um, here's the here's the police part in it. Is this kid didn't get within closer than ten feet of them, and one of the cops um, shot him sixteen times, even taking time to reload. And the full the first bullet dropped this kid, and they just kept shooting him. And so I watched this video of it. And, you know, the fact that we can't even remember all the names of the black men who've been um, killed through excessive force this year, I, it just, I just started feeling so, uh, I don't even know what the word is, uh, cynical, hopeless, angry. So I, I posted this tweet uh, basically saying, um, how is it okay to shoot somebody 15 more times after after they've fallen to the ground? And why there was one site in particular where it was buried very far down on their site. <laughs> Underneath a news piece five times the size about how Terry Bradshaw is going to celebrate his Thanksgiving. And it just made me so angry. And so I tweeted... Um, if you want to see how much this news organization cares about uh, black people, um, go look at how much space they dedicated to this story. So somebody tweeted me back, um, oh boy, you really uncovered a conspiracy. You really got them. And I tweeted back, I didn't say it was a conspiracy. I said, this shows how much they value black lives. And so then it started this Twitter feud. But I felt even more rage when this person did that. And I know at that point when I begin to feel like physical rage, I know that there's probably something really deeper. I'm filtering it through some type of issue that I have. And, um, but I couldn't, I couldn't stop myself. So I just got into a Twitter war with this, uh, with this woman. And of course, you know, everybody thinks when they get into a little Facebook war, a Twitter war, that the other person is going to go, you're right, I'm dumb, thank you for shedding light on my ignorance. <laughs> so, uh, you know, I I'm chasing this illusion that there's going to be some kind of release from, you know, these these things that I'm that I'm pointing out. And, um, and I was trying to, I, I was trying to put into words what it was that, um, I see as at the heart of racism uh, today, and as much as a white guy uh, can make that kind of assessment. Um, but but it, here's the other thing: this woman then tweeted 
uh, to me that uh, black men, and she also got her statistic off of this website, you know, which to me is a, it's a very suspect um, website. Uh, she tweeted that, uh, according to, to this website, 53% um, black men make up 3% of the population, yet they um, commit f- 52% of the crimes. And and I thought that is at the heart of 21st century racism is that people think of minorities as a collective threat and not a single life with its own circumstances. And I think that was what made me really so sad and angry. But when I really looked deep into myself, I think part of the anger was also at the fact that I'm not really doing anything to combat this. And I think I, I hate that hypocrisy, that I that I think I'm making the world a better place by putting some, you know, well-phrased little thing on Facebook or Twitter. But it's not. I haven't gone and, and picketed or protested anywhere or written a congressman or a mayor. Uh and I guess one of the things that I'm thankful for is that, and somebody actually said that on, on a Facebook post. They said, well, what are you doing to change things? And, and I basically wrote and said, you know what, You're, while I don't agree with the, the tone of your accusation, you are right that, that, that I should be doing uh, something more than just posting on face, uh, social media. But my point in sharing all of this other than to talk extensively about myself, is to say that I'm so grateful that I started going to support groups because if I hadn't done that, I wouldn't have been able, I wouldn't have the tools to have looked inside myself and say, what what might be, what might I be projecting that is adding this extra layer of anger? Because even if the, everybody had agreed with me, I would have still felt angry and outraged about this this thing that is that it happened. Um, and by the way, don't send me an email uh, telling me that I'm getting into politics here because this is not a political issue. Taxes are a political issue. Um, people being uh, uh, murdered by those who are supposed to protect us uh, is not a political issue. Um, so save yourself uh, an email and just go fuck yourself. Um, but uh, I guess... What I what I want to to uh, share some gratitude about is uh, that I was able to see uh, where my issues were also coloring the situation, where the truth was, where where the genuine outrage was, and then where the wanting to control other people uh, was coming in. And it it's just always nice to know um, that you can. Use a tool to find out that you're an asshole. My God, somebody does what I've been doing. There's shame. You have boundary issues. I feel guilty for hating my mom. I will be high by 4 p.m. You feel helpless. I will be in hell by 4.15. Prison was not easy, but I deserved it. I think I'm just addicted to lying. I rubbed my body in mud and I laid in the swamp. Didn't move for six hours. I looked forward to and dreaded each meal at the same time. I think I desperately, desperately wanted to talk about it, but I didn't know how to start the conversation. And that's when I, I called the suicide hotline. A 
good Craigslist experiences if you are alive at the end of it. So, <laughs> so that is when I first felt love. Like I first felt reaching out to the people and sharing with the other people. Um, this intimate connection where people do stuff for each other without wanting something in return. Yeah, I just I surrender. I think I was 28, and that was the first time I ever experienced that, and it was amazing. I'm here with Lisa Laurie, um, who was referred to me by uh, Megan, who was a former guest twice, actually, on our uh, on our podcast. And uh, you live out in Orange County, and I take it you're familiar with uh, with this podcast or no? Very familiar, yes. Oh, okay. I'm a huge fan. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um what are some of the the topics that you'd like to uh to talk about um i think the 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 main thing i have had an early uh early adulthood trauma that i went through and i feel like i just need to you know it happened over 20 years ago and i'm still dealing dealing with it and i just wonder if I get my story out, I feel like maybe some, I don't know how to heal from it. Does that make oh, sense? Yeah. So yeah. I mean, I go through therapy, and we just really haven't gone very deep with with that. But okay. I thought just getting it out because I don't really talk about it with anybody. Okay. So. Um, and and what was the trauma? Um, well, when I was about seventeen, I met um, I met a guy that was um, well, we, he was actually really nice in the beginning. It was about seven months boy, of boy. If I had a nickel for every time I heard that on the podcast, they were great right? at first. Right? The first three months, I, <laughs> you know. In what's funny is is great in relation. I mean, it was yeah. You know, I mean, I know what we were mean. sexually active. We were doing drugs. It's not like it was we were hunky dory or anything. But yeah. um, it was normal, I guess is the word. You know, for mm -hmm. for um, a teenage uh, romance. But um, about seven months in, all of a sudden something snapped, and we were talking, and I was talking about going to a friend's house with another friend's a party or something, <clears throat> and he just snapped and he strangled me and then it just that started the maybe two years of him pretty much torturing me for two years just of my adult life where it just kind of formed me into the person that I am now which I don't know if that's good or bad but um it was just a very scary um, thing to go through and then to still when you say torture do you mean physical um, <clears throat> emotional I assume both everything yes like uh, well I mean to start off with strangling it's like then you go for, you know to stalking and taking me out of my room in the middle of the night to tell me if I'm, he's going to kill my family if I don't go with him so he would sneak up to my window and throw stuff at the, you know to get me out and, so this um, is this is straight up domestic violence. Yes, and it was like you know, I mean, he would throw stuff at me, spit at me, call me everything. Um, just, I mean, every everything. He would take me. He tried to blind me with bleach once. Um, but to be seventeen and going through this and having a mom that's just like. I guess not noticing that anything's going on. Where was your mom? Were you living at home? Yeah, or I was living at home. My parents were divorced, and how, she. How, how old was he? Um, I think he was one year older than me. He so was sixty, <laughs> right? <laughs> he was like seven, eighteen, yeah, something like okay. that. So, so was he living on his own, or was he living? No, with he his was parents? living with his parents that were 
out of it and um, not very, they were very involved with themselves. They were going through a divorce and they were just not thinking that anything was wrong with them or just kind of the head in the, the sand. Like I, I notice a lot, it seems like a lot these days that pe- these parents are, um, they're raising monsters and like letting them out loose and just not taking responsibility for them. You know, it's like, well, it's the world's you know problem now or whatever. But um, that's kind of how it was. And the dad ended up moving. And so then he would take me or on the weekends and take me to his dad's house in LA. And, um, and he would continue to do things like that there, but he would do it a little more hidden in front of his dad. His mom, he threw her around a little bit too, just kind of, you know, disrespect and, and a lot of things. But, um, you know, there was one time he took me to, to like a bad neighborhood and he just started yelling racial slurs and tried to push me out of the car to like, leave me there. See, let's just see what happens. You know? If nothing, he's clever. Right. Yes. He really thought of everything. I mean, we, you know, he would take me and then I end up kind of escaping his house because he would either pass out. Mm-hmm. I was really naive when it came to drugs and that sort of thing. So, um, I mean, I smoked pot, but I just, I just didn't understand. In hindsight, I know there was probably heroin and, and speed and who knows what else, you know, just, um, but he, I don't believe that makes people do, do that. No, I, I, he, I, yeah, he, he was a special case for sure because his friends were all doing that and they weren't, you know, they weren't torturing anybody or stealing people, kidnapping them, (laughs) you know? Yeah. So I would escape and go hide in his neighborhood and I could hear him trying to find me, like just, you know, doing donuts around the neighborhood. And uh, so, okay, well let's, let's pause there with the, with the stuff about, about him. Right. And talk about what led you to, choose this type of person Mm -hmm. and to um, have difficulty getting away from this person. I mean, obviously, it sounds like you did try to get away from him eventually and he was stalking you. Right. But it also sounds like there was a period of time where you were you under the belief that this guy was maybe going to change or something or. No, I think I was just so scared of him. Oh, I mean, showing up in my house where he would sleep on my street and wait for me to come home. The neighbors would put restraining orders on him and things like that. But, but you wouldn't. No, I was so, I was just so scared. I was really, really scared. I think what led me to him is, you know, parents divorcing, dad's out of the picture. Um, your your family. Yes. So it's very similar to his. Yes, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> and somehow I didn't get into all the drugs and everything. I just got into bad relationships. It, it was more like sex was the tool and... um being in a bad relationship, I guess. Or sex was the tool for you to get people, or sex probably. Was, okay, I think it was. I don't. I didn't consciously think that, but I know that I was having sex with people and I didn't really want to, <laughs> you know. But what, I was getting what, attention. <laughs> where do you think that 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 comes from? Were you sexualized as a child? I was actually. I think when I was five was the first time um, the next door neighbor kid was kind of showing me how you know how you're supposed to have sex, which was not the right way, but it. It kind of led me, and in hindsight, I think, what was going on in his house that he was doing that yeah. with me, you know, at five years old, and... Um, How old was he? He was five also. Yeah. I remember spending the night at his house and But he his... carried himself like he was six. <laughs> right. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> 
we might have visitors that we hear the elevator the okay. elevators uh it's him now noise. oh my god how fucking scary would that be if it was your um, ex your ex with the guy yes. that did that when he this was five this is your fucked up life <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh <laughs> this is the parade of sorrow <laughs> oh my gosh <laughs> well i think you know um my parents getting divorced i had the idyllic childhood um yeah. parents together my mom was a stay-at-home mom she was a room mom really involved super just Everything was perfect. Mm-hmm. They never fought in front of us, so I didn't. Let's know. just back up to that yes. event, event with the uh, with the neighbor oh, yes. boy, though. Yes. What do you remember thinking or feeling um, when it happened and afterwards? Did you feel like it 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 um, changed you somehow? Did it definitely did? I how so? Um, well, I did go back for more. <laughs> So you, on a certain level, it was exciting. Yes, to you. it was kind of like it awoken you know feelings that I never had before. So. Mm-hmm. Um, there were some weird things that he made me do too that I thought now it's like, why would he do that? You know, just, just random things. But, um, it, it, that's, I, um, started becoming a chronic masturbator at five Hmm. until I don't even know how old I was when I stopped. But my, I remember my mom asking the doctor, like I could hear her through like the pediatrician, like, what can we do to stop this? You know? I just thought I was a freak, but I hid it all the time. But, you know, she knew if I was in the bathroom for too long or whatever, you know. But what, um, when did it it end, the chronic masturbation? I'm thinking it was probably, I think it lasted probably for a few years, probably like four years, maybe eight, nine it stopped. And then I didn't really I'm, care I'm, about I'm, it anymore, but. I'm, I'm kind of shocked because I've never heard of, um, well, I shouldn't say I've never heard, but when people have shared with me that they started uh, masturbating at an early age and it was compulsive, it, for a lot of people, it's something that just stays with them. The urge to, right. to do that is always yes. there because the, something it's wired in them that this is how I'm going to soothe myself. Right. It definitely was. It came back again, you know, maybe in my, when I was more going through puberty and then it was like combined with the hormones of you know mm-hmm. so it was even probably more but um yeah it turned into that's like if i had insomnia that's how i would fall asleep at night that became my you know blanket mm-hmm. <laughs> you know it's funny because i don't do it at all anymore <laughs> it's like i'm just totally cut off from that feeling anymore it's just kind of like would you would you consider yourself to be asexual these days i think so yeah. I, I think so i i I enjoy having sex when I do, but I just never really am in the mood to. Yeah. Just, kind of, I think maybe it's more hormonal or something. But it, it could be too. Just I might have burned out from, my from, from the trauma. Yeah, I mean, there are a lot of things, you know, with the guy. I mean, he tried to rape me, and he was just probably too stoned to. You just, but it was never really about that. He tried to do that maybe once or twice, but it was, you know, there was sex obviously involved, but he was just more about. I don't know what it was. It was just like he just wanted, you know, he would come to my work and throw stuff at me or whatever it was. Just do everything. Come to school. And the teachers had to start locking the doors because he was trying to get me at school. But one time somebody witnessed me being pushed on the side of the road and a stranger pulled over and 
and he yelled at him and the guy and he ran the guy my boyfriend ran away and the guy took me home <laughs> some stranger and then he ended up asking me out on the way home. oh my god <laughs> what did you say i'm like i'm kind of i'm dating someone <laughs> it's complicated <laughs> oh my god that is we should have an an office awful some bell that we yes. rang when somebody shears <laughs> Oh my uh, god. And he was older, so I think it was just one of those like obviously I'm not in the market. I was so crazed. And I think before I knew what PTSD was, I'm pretty sure that I had I don't know if you get rid of it, but I'm definitely better now with I don't have the nightmares anymore and I don't see him everywhere or I used to just sit and stare at the wall. <laughs> just stare, you know, or just be completely out of it. Like a nervous breakdown maybe is what mm-hmm. it was, but I was just kind of on my own because my mom was just. If what you went through doesn't qualify for PTSD, I'm not sure what does. (laughs) It's kind of like the battle that only one other person knows about and no one else knows. You come back from war, you're like, okay, oh, I didn't. uh, Yeah, I'm pretty traumatized here. So let's let's go back to the uh, the childhood stuff. Yeah. Um. So. you you found masturbation as a way to to soothe yourself, um, but then you eventually got out of it. Um, wh- where your when did your dad s- stop kind of being integral to your life? Was he never integral to your he life? He was. Well, see, my mom was very good about making it seem like everything was okay, which really helped me. It was a good coping mechanism for me to get through things, but then it also deadened my feelings as far as, am I really feeling what I'm supposed to be feeling or I'm just pretending? I I (laughs) have struggled with that my entire life. Really? My entire life. I don't, that's why, one of the reasons why I dread going to therapy is most of the time I don't know what I'm feeling. Yes. I only know what I want to do and I don't want to do. I want to play a video game. I (laughs) want to play hockey. Right. I don't want to go to counseling. I don't want to talk about my yes. feelings. Right. And I think when I finally started going to therapy, the first thing I said was, I want to feel again because I don't know. I haven't. How old were you? Um, well, just a couple years ago. Okay. So 37, 36, okay. something like that. 37, maybe. So know. there was kind of... Um, so she pretended like he was always there at dinner. So in my mind, he was with us at dinner, you know? So she yeah. used to talk, oh, dad, you know, let's give dad some food and let's, but I guess he was away on business a lot. And I remember him playing games with us at, at bedtime and playing games and things. But at 10 is when they divorced when I was 10. So then he remarried and he married someone that was very jealous of me. So it was just like, that was weird. And then my mom started working. So that was weird. You know, we were kind of, um, we weren't latchkey kids yet because we were too young, but we started having babysitters. And um, we actually lived in Texas at the time. So then we moved back to California. And that was when I started getting bad grades. And I started eating to soothe myself. And um, and my dad wasn't in the picture. We talked to him at Christmas, maybe, and birthdays, if you mm-hmm. remembered. And then my mom ended up getting... Uh, diagnosed with a, a brain tumor so when I was 15. And it was the same week that I started my period. And I just remember thinking, like, I was so fucking alone, <laughs> you know, because I had to just learn how to do everything on my own. You know, Aww. she and she had remarried also a guy that was not whatever, not very nice guy either. And it was just kind of, you know, we once she started dating, we were just kind of left to the wolves like, OK, <laughs> you know. 
um, but yeah, bad grades, no parents. And then once she got sick, my stepdad got rid of her, basically broke up with her. And so then we were on our own and she was just out of it. So it's, it sounds like you didn't have healthy relationships, boundaries, or a kind of emotional regulation really uh, modeled for you as a as a kid. There were there were no templates for you to know what was healthy and what wasn't. Right. That that's just kind of what I wanted the the snapshot yes. of because I'm always interested when somebody the path to <laughs> yeah when somebody <laughs> yeah. doesn't turn around and run uh, immediately right. from somebody who shows signs of of being super uh, dangerous. Right. Uh, I'm always kind of fascinated to know what what is it what are the voices in your mind that are saying, you know, give it another shot. You know, don't don't right. pull the ripcord yet. Yeah, and I. Why would I not? Like you said, why wouldn't I run away? Why wouldn't I think? Oh, this isn't good for me. But I think it's, I just didn't like myself enough yes. to think that I was worth anything more and, than that. And anybody listening who has been in a bad relationship that that, that can't leave it, I am not victim blaming at all. It's, you know, when I say, why, why didn't you mm-hmm. leave? I understand a thousand reasons why people <laughs> yes. can't leave uh, certain things. You know, yeah. oftentimes the, you know, the amount of dark that somebody has, there may be a huge amount of light or mm-hmm. you think that you can save this person or, or whatever. Right. right. Um, so it, I, I'm not. Uh, yeah. I'm and not it is victim. hard to explain to someone that's never been through it. But when I say it, it sounds crazy. It's yeah. like. You know, common sense is you touch a burner and it's on and it's hot. You take your finger away. You don't just keep like, well, maybe the flame isn't. It looks like it's cooled off. <laughs> maybe it'll get cold. I don't know. <laughs> but yeah, so after she. Why got, don't you reach behind you and yeah. close the door? We officially have visitors. <laughs> Come on in. Um, once she got sick and was out of it, I mean, she was literally just she had, you know, brain surgery. So it was she just was out of it. So she would, I don't even know how, honestly, I don't know how she made it through and did what she did. And I think that's why I never could get mad at her for basically, you know, our dad abandoned us and then she was kind of taken away from us. So then we were teenagers parenting ourselves, Mm -hmm. which is like. Well, she had abandoned you, just not in that particular instance. (laughs) Exactly. You know. So she would just come home from work and go to bed and just be totally out of it. So then I was just. Right for the picking, I guess, because low self-esteem just, I mean, I literally, when I was a kid, I just used to always look at the ground all the time. I couldn't look people in the eye. I was very, very shy. And then now to add on top of it being insecure and then you're going through puberty and then, you know, all these things happening. I was just right open for this guy to be like, hey, let's date. (laughs) And I'm just going to take a wild guess that here's some of the things (laughs) that he did. (laughs) Uh, lavish you with compliments was in, in the beginning was very, very in tune to your needs, uh-huh. uh, was kind of in many ways, the guy that you were looking for, at, at least had the qualities of the guy that you were looking for. And it was very exciting. Yeah. Uh, and then he began to, uh, separate you from any friends that you had kind of g- became possessive over your time and your schedule. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then began then began to um, criticize you and chip away at your self esteem yeah, uh, to make it easier right. to make it easier <laughs> it to control right. you. <laughs> yeah, I just fell right into it. Just you know, and then you know, some people tried to help me, but the only person that could help me was me. I mean, I couldn't 
I literally had someone come get me two times in a row to rescue me. And what, what were you thinking or feeling when this person came to rescue you? I felt like like a weight had been lifted, like, hallelujah, I'm away. But then I went back with him. And then he came and picked me up again, and he said, I can't keep doing this if you're going to keep going back to him. And it wasn't a love interest either. It was just really a guy that was trying to be a good person, <laughs> you know, not, not and help guy, me. Not the guy from the side of the road. No, not no. that guy. <laughs> so what, walk us through, in your mind, why you go back to this guy. That person comes and saves you. Yeah. You feel a weight lifted. Mm-hmm. What went through your mind to then go back again. I really think it was fear. I really do. Because I don't remember ever having that feeling of love for him or jealous if he was going to be with somebody else. I don't think I ever even thought that. I was just really scared for my life. And you thought, I'm safer with him than than his anger that I'm not with him. Right. So it makes sense on a sick level. It it does. It was like I was trying to protect my family because he said he was going to kill them. He would break into the house and leave things so that when I wake up, I would see it just so that I would know that he was serious, that there, you know, I can get into your house. That I is terrifying. <laughs> that is terrifying. It really, and I used to have the, I mean. Is he in jail now? Uh, he's dead. <laughs> so, I mean, what ended up happening, the the end of it all was jail because he, he was just really so messed up. He used to break into places like places like this, like the office buildings or industrial areas and just rob them. And one time he took me with him and I just thought, I can only imagine like now I'm going to get go to jail for just being stupid and coming with him, you know, and I didn't go in. I just sat in the car and just was like, what am I doing here? And he drove me home and he looked at me and he was talking to me and he was talking to me like I was my brother. And he said he was asking me about me. Do you think Lisa's awake? Should we go talk to her? He didn't even know it was me. The whole time. Was he high? I guess. <laughs> it was like... And then it started to dawn on me, like, all the things that he had done to me in a matter of about two years, give or take, um, he probably didn't even remember. So it was only me that knew it. You know, all these oh, bad wow. things were only in my head. Like, he probably didn't even have any recollection of it because he was so messed up. I really had no idea how much drug, you know, how much drugs he was into. And it might have been, he might have been disassociating too when, you yeah. know, he would have, maybe he was having episodes or something. I don't know. I'm, yeah, I'm he, not a mental health he expert. He did get 51 and the, you know, this one night, it was the kind of the end of it all, was him coming over mad in a rage and he came and like busted our front door window. His fist went through it and, I came out. My mom was at home, by the way. She was so she asleep. recovered from uh, her brain tumor. She did. Okay. She did. She finally, yes, <laughs> she was really out of it and irritable and weird for a while. But now she's she's back to normal. She's still alive and she's she's good. <laughs> but she feels she's, really she's guilty back, about. She's being... back to em- denying emotional realities. Yes. <laughs> well, yes. If you ever have me back, I would love to talk about family estrangements and and all that fun stuff. But um, <laughs> um. He threatened me with a knife, so he had his knife, and he said he was going to stab me. And my brother was finally someone witnessed it, so he came outside and was yelling at him. And the, my boyfriend, I don't think we were really together anymore. I'm pretty sure I've broken up with him a million times, but he wasn't going to let that happen. He literally strangled us both at the same time and then threw us down on the ground. <laughs> so my brother ran in the house to call the cops, like, okay, this isn't happening. I'm going to call the cops. 
and you you got to applaud the double strangle. I was I like, mean, that's a wrestling move, like, right there. Seriously, when it happened, I was like, this is really embarrassing that he could handle both of us right now. And my poor brother, like, how unmanly do you feel when <laughs> your sister and you are getting taken down by one guy? <laughs> your your brother's feet off the ground, flailing. <laughs> no, kicking. there's one part that I never have told anybody. <laughs> when he strangled both of us, he pushed us both down and. My- my pants fell down <laughs> like like a stupid comedy skit like oh you can't even have pants that fit you now your pants are gonna fall down through all this it's just, just like can you be embarrassed when this is happening <laughs> but um so he goes to call the cops and the cops wouldn't come unless i was gonna press charges but i wasn't gonna say that with the guy standing there right. so i just kept saying you know just I don't know what I was just trying to keep him calm, but he's he was in such a rage. He was the most rage I'd ever seen. So then he slit his own wrists and just wiped it all over me. Just, this is your fault. This is all, you know, you. And then he had me with the knife and he said, if a cop comes around the, car, the corner right now, I'm going to stab you in the neck. I'm like, okay. Somehow I talked him into needing a drink or something, and I seriously, I don't know how, like magical God, I don't know what, I was able to talk sense into him for a second to let me go. I said, the cops aren't coming. I'm not pressing charges, everything. I walked in the house. I yelled up to my brother, I'll press charges, and then went and got a drink. And I, I think I'm pretty sure I, yeah, I just slammed the door I locked it all up, and then he tried to, you know, try and get in some more, and then the then the sirens came, and I'm at the front door with the cops, and I can hear behind me because our kitchen window was open, him in the window saying, "Thanks a lot, Lisa." Oh, 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 oh my god! <laughs> so it was like, well, okay, so he oh, got. Oh my! That's when he got fifty one fifty and taken into college hospital, and he was he was there for a little while. Oh, my God. And, you know, I actually did go and visit him there. And then I thought, what am I doing? He's yes. here. Like, I, it was like, it's like that thing with the caged bird. If you open the door, there's a bird just stay there, you know, like an idiot. <laughs> so, um, but then they, they took him to jail because after he was at, I don't know if he had a detox or what, what was going on. I didn't really ask. I just kind of. So then he was in jail and he still, you know, he would call me. Was he in jail for that? Uh, he was in jail for, yes, for that. And, and I think also for robberies. I think he finally got some things. I mean, he had everything. He had laptops and all kinds of stuff that he had on him that, you know, cause he was stupid, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, he would just, and he would bring presents to me like a dog, like a cat, like he would get his goods and come leaving at my house. Like, what do I, what am I going to do with four walkie talkies? Like <laughs> <laughs> call for help. <laughs> Somebody. <laughs> um, so yeah, he was in jail and he would still call me, but it was like that sense of safety. It was like, I finally knew where he was. He was not going to hurt me now. He was at a safe distance and it was just kind of like. That must have felt I, amazing. It was. It totally was. When he got out, he, we we kept in contact a little bit. He was sober. He was at a halfway house and he was, it was like the tables had turned. Like I could. Well, one more thing happened at the towards the end. It was when he was in jail. I used to get letters from him and he would send me, you know, artwork and stupid stuff. And I was just like, I was dating other people. I was ready to, I was done. But, um, but knowing that he was there, like I said, it was really safe. So then one time I get a letter 
and I opened it up and it's saying, I can't wait to kiss you again and all these other things. And I, and I looked at it and I realized it wasn't for me. It was for my sister. So I guess they had had some secret thing. I don't know when. (laughs) Oh my God. Yeah. So that, that I think made my brain like, I think I, that might've made my nervous breakdown just blow. I mean, I went into her room and tore it apart. I ripped it apart. She hadn't, you know, still to this day, I don't talk to her anymore. I still, she's still. Because of that? That started it. I still tried to be friends with her for a good 20 years, but she kept doing more things. (laughs) And she still didn't understand why I was mad about that. (laughs) So I'm like, well, because she said, well, I never had sex with him and all this other stuff. It's like, well, I was trying to protect. I was putting my life on the line to protect my family. And you're going and like sleeping with the enemy. You know, you're like, you're letting him in the back door. So it was... It was a, that was, so that I kind of, that when the tables had turned was when I finally saw him again, I started, it was like, I was being mean to him, but I wasn't like really mean. I would just like call him Chester the molester and stuff because he was, she was younger and I would, you know, just call him names and kind of just, and he would just say, oh, I know he was just, he was a totally different person. It was Was really weird. Was it illegal how much younger she was than him? Um, let's see if he was probably 18. So he was, she was probably, yeah. Yeah, she's three years younger than me, so at least four years younger than him. And she just kind of played it off like like I was a crazy person for ripping mm-hmm. apart her room and being mad, I guess. So it was just, it was very, very interesting. So why, when he got out of jail, why would you even go see him? I think it was like somebody coming out of the hospital or something like, I'm recovered. I want to go see. And it was, it was very short lived. So, so there was a part of you that really believed. I guess. There was a, there was a person inside him that, that was good, that was trying to get out. Yes. That, that, and he that, came to visit me a couple of times. I, I can't imagine it was more than five times that we saw each other after that. And it was just kind of. And then still after that, I still thought I would see him somewhere and get like the, you know, shivers. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. oh my gosh, he's here. And then one time I was with my sister and I said, oh, my gosh, I thought that was, you know, who it was. And she said, oh, you haven't heard. And I said, no. She said, yeah, he he died. I said, oh, all right. I don't know how she knew, but he died. How how did he die? Supposedly it was a heart something, something with his heart. But he was in rehab or he was working at a hospital or something. He was strangling three people at the same time. Yes, he was. All their pants were off. His his heart just couldn't take it. It's funny because it was like, oh, he's recovered. He's this great person. But he had a heart attack in Mexico and died at 27. Hmm. Okay. Well. You know, one of the things that I, I just want to touch on is the belief that people have a good person inside them that's trying to get out. I believe that I believe that for 99% of the population. And I believe that it's healthy to believe that about other people. The place where I draw the line is on when you lack compassion for yourself because you feel it is up to you to try to bring that good person right. out of that person that is super super sick. Right. And that's that is where I believe um we it, it it gets unhealthy yes. for us. I've been empathetic to a fault. I've been empathic to a fault. And just just to the point where I'm getting hurt, not mildly, I'm getting really damaged permanently. You know, I mean, I think 
it, it changed everything about me. It changed yeah. every everything. I mean, just being literally, I used to get in the car and put my hand like right here in case somebody was behind me and was going to strangle me. Like I used to do this, like she, in case she, somebody was yeah. behind the seat. So that was, you know, like putting She's my putting hand, hand through by my, her, from by my throat, throat. Yeah. like to cover in case someone was going to. Um, so that was like my ritual when I would get in the car. No one's ever done that in the car to me before, but I just had this feeling of like, what if someone's behind me? And, you know, so it just, it was something that just does your, really, d- um, does your temper, uh, flare up with, without any warning sometimes? Will something like trigger you and and you'll get, yeah. all of a sudden your emotions become very intense in a very short amount of time? I think so. I think so. I think more often than not though, I'm just kind of void of feelings still numb i mean i literally like the picture that's behind you of the beach on the wall i there used to be a picture at his house that i would stare at when he was being whatever he was doing and i would pretend like i was there (laughs) so this is where my mom's craziness helped me (laughs) but then you know i wasn't really in sugarloaf new york like in the picture i was in this apartment in irvine (laughs) you know being like tormented (laughs) by this person so it was, yeah, it was, and I do get rage in being, I am a stay-at-home mom, so it's really hard when you're 24-7 around mm-hmm. kids. How many, be- how many kids do you have? I have two. And how old are you? Uh, 39. Okay. Yeah. You so, don't look 39. Thank you. <laughs> you're old, about 90. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and by the way, Lisa looks like... Um, <laughs> Like if uh, Betty Page played in a rockabilly band. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> uh, my kids are 10 and 9. So, um, you know, I've had a lot, a huge learning experience with them. For me, I think, what damage am I going to be doing to them that they're talking about on the therapy couch or emailing Paul Gilmartin to be on his <laughs> show? <laughs> I mean, you know, like what I'm trying so hard to not get it not be divorced because that was such a huge thing to me that was what changed my whole life forever but that doesn't mean it's going to change theirs if it happens or anybody else's it's just in my mind you have to stay together because that's what causes problems but then now all of these other problems can happen that are not <laughs> absolutely if the, if the marriage is toxic i don't think that it's good for the kids right. to be around that exactly and and the way that people handle a divorce it can greatly affect positively or negatively right um how those kids uh feel safe for and sure. have you know um boundary modeling i you know the worst thing that people can do that i see the thing that fucks them up the most um in a divorce is when they talk about the other parent yes. behind their back to the yes. kid and pit the kid between yep. them. That That is just one of the most unfair things that, yep. that, that I've seen. But um, there's a thought that I, that I had uh, when you're sharing about, oh, I just got an email today from somebody who was worrying um, that she's making mistakes with her kids. And she's like, and you know, I, uh, I, I, I apologize, uh, for them. And I was like, that's, that's 90% of it. Yep. Yeah. And so to parents out there, not only can you repair stuff with your kids, may, might not be on the time schedule that you would right. like it to be, <laughs> yeah. um, but you can also, by doing that, be a great example for them of humility. Exactly. You know, I, I talked about this on, a show that I was doing yesterday and the exact topic came up. One thing that I struggle with so much is um, 
not giving my kids my anxiety or my depression or when I do flip out, because they see me at my worst. They're around me 24 hours a day if they're not at school. They're nine and 10 now. Mm -hmm. So it's a little bit different. When they were five, it was really me and them, you know, for five years, it was just us. And you don't have time for a bad day or a bad temper or whatever, but I sure as heck had them. But I mean, just over the summer, I was with them so much. And so they're going to see a lot more of the real me. And I found myself apologizing a lot and coming back to them and trying to be more self-aware in the moment of, let me have my thing. I am human. I'm going to feel this pain. And I I may act crazy. I may act whatever it is. I said, but I don't want to scare you. I also don't want you to feel like you need to fix me. That was the biggest thing. I don't want you to feel like you need to take care of me. You don't need to be my mom because that's what I was for my my own mom. But like you said, having humility to say, you know what, I'm sorry, looking them in the eyes and saying, I'm sorry if I hurt you or scared you or whatever it is, and to show them that I'm a human, I'm a person, and I mm-hmm. and I can go from that to, I'm okay now, let's let's start over, you know, and so I totally agree, and I and it must be something that all parents go through, and it kills me to know that other parents would use that as a punishment or to say, well, it's your fault, or I never even wanted you in the first place, or saying things like that where, I I mean, I would never say anything to that degree. I'm always about, I'm always, that's the other thing. I'm trying to get all over all this trauma. You would say having you was a terrible decision, but you would never <laughs> right. say I never wanted you. Exactly. <laughs> I'm trying to go through all this trauma. I'm almost 40, and I could be possibly giving them their own version of bad issues where it's like, I just want to, it just feels very self-serving and very, you know, but yeah, my mom, I do, I think I can say that I forgive her for a lot of the things, a lot of things I would go through, you know, and say, oh, when I was 20 and then think about her when she was 20 and think about the things that she was going through and then. You know, she got, she had me when she was 20 and then divorced at 30 and then brain tumor at 35. And I'm start thinking of all those things that she was going through. And I think, God, I don't know how she gave us Christmas, you know, or whatever, three of us kids with no money and magically makes things happen. But um, her and my relationship is definitely still kind of strained. I still see her all the time. The kids are really involved with her, but she still protects my sister and all of everything so i can't get close with my mom in the way that i would like to but let's talk about how the trauma has affected you you know one of the things that you said is uh feeling numb Mm -hmm. Uh, you feel numb a lot can you can you talk about that more could you actually reach behind you and open the yes crack open the door i think our visitors left and it's getting warm in here we're done taking the trash out oh my god i recorded in here last night remember how hot it was yesterday yes and by the end of it, we we're both just soaked. <laughs> really? Soaked. You know what I was too at the end of my session? Yeah. Like, oh my what did you do? Um, when I was doing uh, the JMO Patrol podcast. Oh, okay. <laughs> okay. Um, um, what was I saying? Oh, the the trauma and the, the numbness. Uh, for a little while, probably in my mid-20s, I think, I did not know how to feel at all. Literally did not. I would have to... And the trauma ended at at what? Even um, though it truly almost never ends. What? Right. What, uh, I'll probably nineteen. Okay. So seventeen to nineteen, 
But then I had two more abusive relationships after that. So it was like the next relationship, it was almost like I more felt more comfortable in that relationship that way. The strangling and, was more gentle. Yeah. He actually, that's the, the weird thing. I was like, oh, well, he wasn't as bad as the one guy. So it's like, doesn't really count. It was like I would justify it in my head of like, well, he just pushes me around or. Were, were there guys that were interested in you that weren't abusive and did they not yes. interest you? They, I, it was like, um, I think I had more non-abusive than abusive, but, um, after the one guy that ended up dying, I, I had a few that were, they were really nice guys, I guess. And what happened? Um, they're just, I, I always date people that are just nice to me, even though we maybe don't have anything in common. <laughs> it's like, oh, they said hi to me and asked me out. So I say, okay, I just say yes. I never say no. That's my problem. <laughs> <laughs> now we're getting somewhere. <laughs> Are you afraid of being alone? Um, now I love being alone, but I've never, I don't think I've ever really been alone because now I've been married for 11 years. I've never, I've never just dated. I've never. What's the longest time you've gone without being in a relationship? That is a good question. I could say it's probably months or less. I was always, actually, my biggest, my biggest problem was overlapping. <laughs> <laughs> so one would be ending and it was usually not good. They were cheating or whatever it was. And then I'd meet somebody else and it just always was just the next one started, all, you know, right away. So that's how I met my husband. I was with somebody else too. <laughs> so it was just, I, I don't think I've really ever been single since I was like 15. You might be a love addict. <laughs> Maybe, but I don't think I've ever felt loved before. Maybe I'm fi trying to find it. Well, the irony of the term love addict <laughs> is it's really about uh, fear of being alone that or, makes sense. or fear of being overwhelmed by somebody else's needs. And it's... That makes sense. There's almost no true love in a love addict's life. It's things that <laughs> that they think yeah. represent love that are substitutes for true, nurturing, mature love. Um, I think that's my take on it. If that. I was... Let's say I was not married anymore. I was single. I would not want to date. I wouldn't want to be, I would want to be alone. I think I, I just, I mean, I love being alone now. So it's mm -hmm. kind of like, I, all of that just seems like, I don't know, not chaos, but it's just too mm -hmm. much. It's just too much. I, I just think being alone because I never have been maybe would be much easier. <laughs> Relationships. Ugh. Who needs, them? Hard. Who needs them? Who needs them? And they're especially hard when when you have experienced trauma as a kid. Um, you know, it it. Um, I don't know if I, what that neighbor kid did to you counts as as trauma. I don't know how uncomfortable you were with it, or uh, it, and it sounds like your mom uh, was kind of uh, emotionally incestuous with you in some ways. The the things that mm -hmm. she would share with you that can really fuck up um somebody's capacity to uh be intimate and in mm -hmm. later in life that or, makes or, a lot of sense i mean i'm not i don't like to cuddle i don't I'm not a big like toucher touchy feely but i am with my kids i'm really the opposite of everything everything that i'm saying is but with my kids it's like i have like a clarity with them and i know that i draw from my foundation of my childhood with my mom how she was so great and um she showed me the mom that i wanted to be so that eventually i mean she wanted me to be a mom when i was like 
16, she was trying to, hey, you should have kids. <laughs> and I thought, oh, I want to have kids at 22, just like you. But, yeah. um, you know, once I was 20, I thought, thank God I didn't. But um, then I, so, you know, once I got married and all, all I wanted to do in life was have kids. I had, I have a lot of other passions and a lot of other things, but kids was, that's what I wanted. That's all that I wanted to put my energy into. And it's, and it's been awesome that I've had the cha- the ability to do it and to be able to do it and have these two amazing kids that, um, you know, I see them taking on some of my issues, but, but then they also are very quick to apologize also where they're kind of, they're learning. It's like, we're all learning together. We're all growing up, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, but yeah, so it's, it's, it's definitely, so for me to be able to feel now, I think I'm slowly getting to that point. I used to have to tell myself, this is a point where you should be happy. This is when people are happy. I have to tell myself that you're supposed to feel happy right now or smile. Like this is what is a normal human response. Is that, is that good to do that though? That no, you, that you should be feeling this because I, I personally, no. <laughs> I feel worse when I. Yeah, I just when I do that, then I'm like, well, I'm a freak. <laughs> yeah, I felt like I don't know if you ever watched the show Dexter, but which is sad that I feel like a, a serial killer. But that's how he used to. I remember his inner dialogue was always telling himself, oh, I'm supposed to respond like this. This is what the other human wants me to do right now. And that's kind of how I feel. And I think that kind of pulled me out of my, you know, I had a problem, problem, not, I wouldn't say a problem, but I would get, you know, drink a lot and get drunk. And that's when this trauma stuff would come out where I would cry about it and try and try and mourn it. And but it was not constructive. It was just not when blah. you're drunk. Not when you're drunk. <laughs> no, <laughs> nothing really comes of comes good with being drunk. So, but that hasn't happened in many years. That that coming up, but it still is just always under the surface of, you know, I'm petrified of my son turning into that guy, which is not going to happen. But I want to be mindful of any signs and not just bury my head in the sand, you know, like his parents did. And I'm petrified of my daughter thinking that she's not good enough and needs to be with someone like that, you know. So it's it's like I'm trying to just do everything the opposite of my parents. And be careful though, because then that pendulum can swing the other way, yes. and then you become controlling. And yes, the- and I'm really and and I do have that tendency to be controlling because it's especially with kids, it's easier to it's something I can control. Everything else is so out of control in my life that it's like okay, these are some people I can control, but now. I really have to have to tell myself to like let go, and I love seeing them grow and do things on their own, and just you know step back and be happy that I'm doing my job, that they're going to move on in life and not live with me forever, <laughs> you know. But I don't know where I'm at today is just trying to. I just feel like I'm in a tangled web from that experience because it turned into another bad to this bad to this, and just. I don't feel like I've ever started living life yet since since I was 10, <laughs> probably. That's so sad. I know. I live vicariously through my kids. <laughs> That's about it. <laughs> like, like you said, it's sad. <laughs> <laughs> Got to be careful with that, too, because I think they can sense sometimes. Yeah. When you know, I think there's a, a fine line between taking enjoyment and your kids and yeah. your kid going... Well, this feeds an empty part of my parent. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, they're like, "Oh, you need needy much, mom?" But I, and I try and be. I'm so the opposite of needy. It's just like, okay, I just want to stay back. And my my husband was an only child, and he was very he was showered with a lot of attention. And so the combination of the two of us is very weird. 
because he, you know, he wants more love and attention and I feel like I'm giving it to him. But I feel like I have the, my grandma was this German and her way of smiling was like a smirk. <laughs> mm-hmm. She thought it was her big grin. <laughs> you know, she yeah. was real strong German. I feel like I have that like, I don't know. I, I just, I'm just not a touchy feely kind of a person. I'm just, you know, I'm just not, but. Were you ever? Um, I, my mom's, I think I was when I was younger. I think I was, I was always coming, like I would be playing outside and I would run in to tell my mom I loved her and run back out. And it was like every hour, you know, and just always trying to take care of my brother and sister. And, um, I think I was, I think I was. Maybe something a little light got put out at some point from all the shit you went through. I think so. Um, have you done therapy? I have, and I don't think we've gone deep enough. I think that's what I thought. And I talked to Megan about it. She said, well, maybe you should tell your therapist that. I said, yeah, that's probably a good idea. That tell maybe, her what? You know, the things I'm talking to you about, we've never really talked about it. What? We've touched on it, but she never really went any further with it. She kind of moved on to something else. Oh, you got to find a different therapist. <laughs> okay, that's what I was you need wondering. to find a therapist that specializes in uh, trauma. Yeah. That's, yes. The okay. one, that, one that specializes in PTSD. Yeah. Um, EMDR might be a really good thing for you to um to to do with yeah. the with the therapist. Mm-hmm. I'm sure there's all kinds of different uh modalities for dealing with PTSD, but um a lot of uh combat vets yeah have get good results from from doing EMDR. Really? Mhm. And and you've been through combat, my friend. <laughs> yes. You have been through combat. <laughs> yeah, that's very, very true. I would make that the highest priority in your life because it's gonna it's gonna better your kids' lives. Mm-hmm. It's gonna better your life. It's gonna better your relationships. It's. Yeah. Um, I hope I'm not coming across as as preachy. Not at all. I think I I always feel like I'm at a crossroads, and every single year I feel like I'm in the same position where I'm just waiting to be happy, waiting to get over this, and trying to figure out how do I need medication? Do I need <laughs> A different therapist. Do I need? I'm so tired of it. <laughs> I'm so tired of it. That's why that song, that Pink Floyd song, "Time," mm-hmm. goes just cuts right through me. Um, <laughs> where it, it, it's it just describes this scene like in the fall where you realize another year has passed yes. and all of a sudden a mm-hmm. decade has gone by. Yep. And you've just frittered the time away. Yes. And and, yep. and you're never going to get it back. And it's just like, oh, my God. Yep. Oh, my and God. It's like slipping through your fingers. Just Yeah. Yeah. And I do feel like every day that I don't do something is a one other wasted day. And at least for myself, I mean, I try and make my kids lives special. And since they only have one childhood, I want to make it great, you know. I mean, I think about everybody, a lot of, well, not everybody, a lot of people can look back on their childhood and say, have fondness for it. Even if it's fucked up, they have fondness for it because there's something innocent and and beautiful about it. But, but, you know, to take that away from them to fix my own problems, you know, I don't want to do that. So I have Mm -hmm. to try and figure out. And I think a different therapist, maybe someone that goes deep. I even thought about the the hypnotherapy or whatever Mm -hmm. that is, but, um, yeah, I think I think that would be interesting to look into for sure for myself. <laughs> do you want to do some fears and loves? Was there yes. anything else that you wanted no, to share? No, I don't think so. But I think okay. that's yeah, I think that's good. Um, so I have to be honest with you. The fear one was very easy. Everybody says, and this. the love was really really hard. That's okay. <laughs> so I I know you said only a, a few. So I just you know I always do more than enough mm-hmm. just in case. 
but okay. hit me with some. All right. Um, I'm afraid I will never be loved. Um, I'm afraid I'll never. Do you not feel like you're loved now? No, I maybe from the kids, but I feel like they kind of have to. <laughs> it's unconditional love. That's that, and which is nice. But I don't. You know, I guess I do feel love when I'm around my friends and and things like that. But, but I, don't, you, I don't know if I if if I, I don't know. Is, is it fair to say then that you feel that there is a certain type of love that is missing from your life that other people get that you just haven't gotten yet because you don't feel what other people feel when they seem to be maybe experiencing I, yes that love. i think so when i'm around some of my friends um one couple in particular and like just the way that they look at each other it's like it's sickening but it's like just you know he doesn't even have to say anything you can just see that he's just he's loving her from across the room and then he's on to whatever he's doing and just that i don't have that i don't have that you know connection did you ever have that with anybody no i don't think so okay no i'd like it though <laughs> I, maybe I just need to give it more. See, that's my problem, though. I used to always just give too much, and then n- nothing would be returned. So then I just shut down. But um, I'm afraid I'll never feel loved. Um, so even if I am loved, I hopefully I'll feel it. Um, I'm afraid of dying young and leaving my kids motherless. Um, I'm afraid of living a long and unhappy life. I'm afraid I will always be broken. I'm afraid my kids will not be friends when they grow up. <clears throat> I'm afraid I will always be fat. I'm afraid I'll always feel fat. I'm afraid I'm wasting my life, which I think we touched on that. Um, I'm afraid my family will never be fixed. I'm afraid I'm not self-aware. I'm afraid strangers talk badly about me. Um, I'm afraid I will never fit in. I'm afraid I'll never be heard. I'm afraid people who will... F- I'm afraid people will find out who I really am. I'm afraid of being a bad friend. Who do you think you really are? I think I'm really fucked up. <laughs> and I I think like I'm always just trying to pretend like everything's fine, but it's not. What do you what are the things about you that you're afraid people are going to know and and, and find out more specifically? I, not just hmm. I'm fucked up underneath the fucked up umbrella that you maybe I mean a lot of the things that I that I think about other people <laughs> or um, I think also maybe just the things that I let other people do to me I'm afraid of them knowing that even though I'm saying it right now like um, like letting somebody hit me or hurt me or or abuse me or take advantage of me or, you know, anything that I would let somebody do that to me, you know, but, um, and let, and repeat it over and over again, just like, that's, that was me, you know, that's not, there wasn't anybody else. That was, that was who I really was just letting the, you know. But don't we all have moments in our lives where either because we didn't know that we could stand up for ourselves or we couldn't find the power to stand up for ourselves. I mean, everybody has those moments. And I don't think anybody would judge you. And anybody that would judge you for that, fuck them. Yeah, that's true. You know, (laughs) most, most people when they're being traumatized are fucking frozen. 
are frozen. Even the strongest of strong people. Mm -hmm. uh, Mike Schmidt, who was a guest on this podcast, was a burly football player mm -hmm. in high school. And he was at a, at a baseball game one time and some adult guy reached over and just grabbed a hold of Mike's testicles. And Mike was frozen. He didn't. He oh could have gosh. killed this old man. Yeah. Could have killed this old man. And he didn't. That is a testament to right. what we do. And, and I think there are different states of frozen. Mm -hmm. I think there's a frozen that can last for years where you just either you just can't summon the energy or the or, or the will or whatever mm -hmm. to extricate yourself from. And obviously there's traumas where no matter how hard you tried, you couldn't right. you know, get yourself out of it. <laughs> mm -hmm. But um, I just it it pains me to think that you shame yourself for what you went through. You were 17 years old. Even if you were 35 years old and you were in a relationship like that, mm -hmm. our brain does funny shit when, when we're cornered. It's really true. It's like I have, I always had lines drawn in the sand of like, well, if he did this, then I'm gone. But he's doing all these other things. Yeah. You know, it's just, it, it's, it's crazy. It, it's, yeah, it's just really crazy. But, well, maybe I don't have to be too scared about people knowing who I really am anymore. <laughs> I think you're a lovely person. And this, well, the you. stuff that you've, that you've shared um, is, uh, really uh, beautiful and human the, the the way that you've um the way that you've dealt with it i think anybody listening to this episode uh is like wow I, you know i really like that uh that person's soul they you know Aww. get a real sense of feels good um, yeah <laughs> you're a good soul well thank you you know i have to say when i first the reason why i listened to the show was through allison when she was on i listened to her episode and i thought wow the show is sounds like it's perfect for me, you know, mm -hmm. and everything that I'm going through. So I listened to the first episode and I teared up and I thought, oh my God, I'm crying. Like, this is human here. <laughs> I thought, okay. So, you know, hearing that, I really honestly felt like I wasn't alone. A lot of the things that you were talking about, about your depression and a lot of symptoms that I was going through at the time, and I thought, oh my God, that's me. That's, this is so me. And then I just got addicted to it. <laughs> your show's yeah. great. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm glad you like it. And it, it so depends on guests like you coming in and talking about the stuff that's hard to talk about. You know, that's the wheelhouse of, of this show yes. is, oh, I don't really want to share this, but, you know, the, right. the, the stuff that I've shared on the podcast that I've beat myself up the most for immediately after I said it oh, no. has been the stuff that I get the most emails from where really? somebody was like, oh, thank you. Thank you. I right. thought I was the only one. Mm -hmm. I thought it was the only one. Yep. And I would also think, in addition to going a, to a trauma therapist, getting into a domestic abuse survivor's uh, yeah. I think that's support group too. would be hugely healing for you. Yeah. And I, there will you, I think you will also <clears throat> find some love mm -hmm. that is safe and doesn't have a lot of strings attached to it, which... Um, for people that have been through trauma mm -hmm. is is for me laid the foundation for me to begin to trust again right and i think i know you know when i was in my my third bad relationship um the guy he he broke my arm and i was at school and i and i had started dating somebody else that was the reason why i broke my arm um and 
the people there thought my new boyfriend was the one that did it. So they were handing me pamphlets. And I just remember thinking like that was when I, it was like, that was made it real, but it was, I was in such denial. Like, that's not me that I don't need that. I can handle this. This is, mm-hmm. it's a broken arm. It's fine. It's going to heal. Yeah. I'll walk it off. I'm not, I've got a guy. new guy. I've got a new guy. And he was really nice too, but he was just, he was just out of it too. He was just kind of a space kid. <laughs> he was nice, but I don't know. I I never really was a good picker. I don't think. <laughs> oh my gosh! Shall I read a couple more, or are we done here on that? Um, read some some loves. You loves. know, I, I, before we go there, I was just thinking what it seems like there is something in you that gets terrified when somebody is kind of soft and present and just seeing you mm-hmm. in a in a way that is is loving does it does it kind of it, it's almost it's, it sounds like you become attracted to people that are distracted by something either by their anger or their high or there's something about them that is not fully present yeah i i and now in hindsight i could see it more clearly that i obviously was attracted to everything that was unhealthy and maybe it was my own ego of trying i can fix this person like i can control them i can fix what's going on with them or or seeing the better in the person or whatever it was whatever was going on being attracted to that that's what's so weird i never thought well this guy looks like he's going to beat me up let's go for him <laughs> you know i mean how do you how do you pick that person <laughs> you know it's just i had a natural draw apparently you know, but then I would talk to some of my friends and they would kind of say, you know, oh, that's, you know, you shouldn't be with this person or whatever. Oh, well, my boyfriend got a little rough with me once. Or a guy that would tell me, oh, I got a little rough with my girlfriend. And then it kind of just made me feel like, well, I guess that's normal. I really mm-hmm. thought that everyone had relationships like I did up until like recently. <laughs> I thought it was normal. I really just thought it was a part of life experience. <laughs> really. <laughs> And then, you know, once you start listening to your show or maybe having common sense, you know, or even having kids where it's like, God, if my kid was masturbating at five, I would think red flag. Let's see what's going on here. Let's see what's happening, you know, but I was just left left to my own devices and I did not do a very good job of it. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, you want me to read some loves? Yeah. Okay. I love that I can get along with anyone. I love to follow the rules. <laughs> um, I love to feel like I belong. I love this. That's the best feeling ever, <laughs> feeling like you belong. Yes. That's how I feel in my support groups. I feel really? like, have you ever come into like a nice warm house when there's a fire going? And, yes. And it's it was windy and cold and rainy yes. outside? Mm-hmm. That's what my support group feels wow. like when I come in. I feel like I've just escaped, like I'm escaping the storm. And for an hour, hour and a half... It's just um, the emotions that are expressed, mm-hmm. and the, even sometimes if they can be a little, somebody's a little angry or whatever. Just the honesty feels like a like a warm fire to me. Wow, that's amazing. Okay, I need to look into something like yeah. that. <laughs> a good one because there can right. be some bad support groups with right. toxic people in them. But but you you yeah. also got to give give them a chance because I didn't feel that way at one of my support groups. Probably the first six months I sat in really? the back, my arms were folded. I didn't <laughs> want to get to know anybody, and it didn't feel like home until I went. Okay, you know what? I've got to 
I've got to pitch in here. Mm-hmm. I got to maybe set up chairs, you know, do something to feel a part of this meeting. And once I did that, then people started to know my name. I started to know theirs. Hey, good to see you again. And all of a sudden, wow. then it started to feel like home. I just started, I just had that feeling of being you and doing that. <laughs> and it felt really, it felt very vulnerable, but it felt very good at the same time. And I can't, I can't imagine having that. It's like, beautiful. I can, I can tell myself, well, you're better than that. You you shouldn't, you know, you're worth more than that. But I don't actually feel that way. You know, like, what it do you mean you're worth more than what? Than being treated badly or, oh, right. you know, I, I, there's that so, intellectual, emotional yes, disconnect. Where, common sense. Yeah, yes. of course, I deserve better than that. But if I was to be a support group and say, you know, I'm better than that and, and really try to feel that, I really don't feel like that. I would feel very uncomfortable trying to say that. I was, I was trying to picture myself doing that. I'm like, wow, that's really outside my comfort I would, zone. I would love to to um, hear back from you after going to a support group for six months or a year. And uh, I, I have the feeling it, it could it could really change your life. It's pretty exciting. I think. Yeah. I'm, I'm into that. Um, I love the smell of a skunk. <laughs> <laughs> really? Yeah. I don't know what it is. I think it's being a kid and going on road trips. That's that feeling yeah. of warm feeling. But yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I love the sound of my kids laughing and getting along. I love being myself. Um, I love things with history. <laughs> I love to pee in the shower. <laughs> <laughs> I do it too. I guess I'm real honest. Like, if if I were a woman, <laughs> satisfaction. If I were a woman, I would pee every time yes. I took a shower because that's your chance. It is your chance. It's like this is what it feels like. It's so yes. freeing. Yeah, it's not. You know, it's whatever. Yeah, yeah. it is a freeing feeling. Mm-hmm. Um, I love listening. Have you ever tried to see how far <laughs> you can make your pee go? <laughs> Damn it. <laughs> Yes, of course. <laughs> I told you I'm sick. I'm really sick under it all. <laughs> uh, and then let's go to this nice one. Um, I love listening to my kids talk when they don't know I can hear them. Um, I love that I have a creative outlet uh, once a week on a podcast. It's like something that's really saved my weekly life. <laughs> mm-hmm. What is, the, po- what is the podcast? JMO uh, Patrol. And it's uh, spell that J-M-O-E Patrol. Mm-hmm. And uh, what does JMOE stand for? Uh, just Mirror Everyone. It's from Allison Rosen's podcast. It's one of her segments that she does. I know the that. JMOs. I know it. And I didn't know it was called JMO. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so we um, we are a fan cast about ARIYMBF. So we sit and talk about her shows weekly. And it's just, you know, I'm meeting these people. First, I met them on Twitter. Now I they live, you know, I've met them in person only a couple of times, but they're all over the place and they've become like a little family for me. And it's been really, I mean, even my kids, I'll be in a bad mood. And after I'm done recording, they'll look at my face. They're like, you look happy. <laughs> like, oh, I really am. Like, I can't stop smiling after um, we talk. And just, That's awesome. Pa- podcasting is so empowering. It really it's is. It's so empowering. It really is. Just to sit and talk. I mean, I feel like it's a bit narcissistic just to be like, me, me, me. That's what I want to talk about. But you know, we can make it about Allison and then a little bit about us. <laughs> yeah, and, and you know, it's an hour, hour and a half a, a week. If, if that's too much right. me time, I don't want to be on this planet. <laughs> right? No yeah. shit. Jeez. <laughs> mm. Okay, well, um, I love the sound of the wind in the trees, even though it scares me. Um, but not in a bad way. So it's still, still love. Um, I love, love orange blossoms. 
Yeah, I love the smell at night of yes. orange blossoms. The smell, the look of them, them in the wind, everything about them. The mm-hmm. smell of them is just, it takes me somewhere else. I don't know. Um, and this is kind of related. I I love the feeling at the beginning of each season, just maybe the first couple of days when you can feel the change in the season. It's just the energy in the air. is just, I love it. Um, I love watching my kids sleep. And I love the way my hand fits perfectly inside my husband's. Oh, what a beautiful one to end on. <laughs> Thank you. What a beautiful one to end on. Well, Lisa, I uh, I appreciate you coming in here. And Thank you. Thank you for having me. This be- is an honor. <laughs> oh, well, um, I really, really hope uh, that we get an update from you um, that that you're making progress with this stuff because that's a lot. That's yeah. a lot to to try to handle on your own. Yes, and I'm not doing a good job, so I'm. I'm going to lay it on to somebody else. (laughs) I'm asking for help. Thank you very, very much. Thanks. (laughs) Many, many thanks to uh, to Lisa Laurie. And I got an update from her, and uh, she's doing okay. She's still searching for a support group. She feels like she's getting closer to uh, taking the plunge and and jumping in, but she still does have some fear and reticence uh, about doing that. But uh, otherwise, uh, she's she's doing okay. And... um, yeah, I just want to thank her for uh, her honesty and uh, and the laughter. I love I love when it's a, an interview where there's uh, where there's laughter. Um, I want to thank you guys for the support uh, from last week's episode where I got interviewed. It was uh, really really touching. Some of the emails and tweets and stuff that I that I got. So um, thank you all so much because uh, I was a little nervous putting it all out there in one big thing, especially you know clocking in at two hours and twenty minutes. So um, thank you, thank you for that. Um, before I forget. Uh, before we get to some surveys, there's a couple of different ways to support our show. If you feel so inclined, you can go to our website, mentalpod.com, and make a one-time PayPal donation, or uh, my favorite, becoming a recurring monthly donor for as little as five bucks a month. Um, you can help us by, uh, if you're going to buy something at Amazon, enter through our search portal, and then if you buy something, Amazon will give us a couple of nickels, and it doesn't cost you anything. Um, I think that's about it. You buy a t-shirt, coffee mug. Um, I don't really give a shit. Actually, I do. I like to pretend that I don't give a shit, but I care deeply about uh, anything that might make me look bad or lead to me dying uh, homeless, poor, and toothless. I don't know about your crystal ball, but that's uh, that's the picture that keeps coming up in my crystal ball. is me struggling to eat corn on the cob because I got no teeth and I'm living on a corner. Uh, let's get to some surveys. This is the Shame and Secret survey, and this was filled out by a guy who calls himself JDH. And he is pansexual, uh, raised in a totally chaotic environment. He's in his 20s. Uh, He was the victim of sexual abuse and never reported it. He writes, my father's cousin raped me when I was four. My mother caught him and my dad went over to his place to beat the shit out of him and that was it. I repressed it for almost 20 years. At the time, I felt like I had done something wrong. Now, I don't feel anything because I no longer hold illusions about my parents' inability to parent. 
He's been physically and emotionally abused. He writes, My parents switched between total neglect and sadistic physical and emotional abuse. There are too many specific instances to name. I've been physically hit with everything from hands to extension cords and knew intuitively what gaslighting is before I hit kindergarten. Any positive experiences with your abusers? No. Darkest thoughts. I've never been able to reconcile being born to two people who never should have married, let alone have had children. It's not a feeling of worthlessness so much as certifiable proof that I'm a human mistake and the weirdness that comes with uh, sexual abuse. Um, oh no, and the weirdness that comes uh, with that knowledge. I'm more ashamed to admit that I think my sexual trauma undermines the credibility of my own thoughts on specifically childhood sexual abuse. Uh, came solely from my own observations of the terrible ways society treats and exploits children, childhood, and youth. Uh, now that I know there was this trauma weighing on my subconscious the whole time, it makes me feel like I didn't have an, any agency in exploring such a difficult topic, and thus my conclusions lose a degree of credibility. Darkest thoughts or darkest secrets. I tell people that I'm diagnosed sch diagnosed schizoid if they ask about therapy, but I haven't told anyone that I was diagnosed with comorbid antisocial personality disorder. I'm not a violent person and would rather not deal with the social stigma attached to being a psychopath. I molested two girls and a boy on several different occasions when I was about 12 or 13. I ascribe that more to a shitty repressive Catholic Catholic upbringing than my own sexual trauma because at that point uh, the trauma was repressed. It's not something I can talk about in any capacity outside of therapy because trying to convince someone that a kid who was fucked when he was four and went on to molest three others didn't find molestation or rape sexually appealing and has no desire to do it again is like trying to kick water uphill. Um, you know, my thought as I read that is, first of all, I'm I'm sorry uh, that all of those things happened to you, and um, and I'm uh, I'm glad that you don't have the urge to do those things anymore. But you know, you you said that you don't think the you, you think that the um, what made you do those things was a shitty repressive Catholic upbringing, um, not your sexual trauma, because at that point the trauma was repressed. But I. Personally, I think that whether the trauma's repressed or not repressed, uh, I, I think it it might be related to that. But again, I'm not a therapist, uh, but I did cook chicken on basic cable, and that's got to count for something. Sexual fantasies most powerful to you. My sexual fantasies are mutable and myriad. I think it has something to do with my ASPD manifesting through sexual impulses as opposed to violent ones. The most consistently powerful ones involve healthy, functional, open, polyamorous relationships. I occasionally publish erotic stories, so sharing my fantasies makes me feel accomplished and validated. I'm never in my own sexual fantasies. I think it's a self-esteem thing, and that makes me sad. What, if anything, do you wish for? impossibilities, to know what it's like to have a supportive family, the capability to love possibilities, a functional, mutually supportive relationship, a long enough life to accomplish my goals. Have you shared these things with others? I've told all of this to therapists, psychologists, and psychiatrists. That went well enough to give me insight into my own mental state. I told a few girls that I really wanted to care about that I had been raped as a kid and none of them ever talked to me again. Well, that is fucked up. Uh, how do you feel after writing these things down? I don't get anything else out of divulging my terrible childhood secrets than a mild appreciation that spaces exist for me to do so. 
Uh, anything you'd like to share with someone who shares your thoughts or experiences? Good fucking luck. Um, thank you for, for being so honest in that. And um, I really hope that um, you can heal some of that, some of that pain that's and cynicism that is still in there. Um, this is from the Happy Moments survey. This is filled out by a woman who calls herself Dork Mom. And uh, her happy moment, she writes, Watching my kiddo trick-or-treat as Doctor Who at my aunt's house when a group of older kids who understand his costume come to the door and adopt him as they make their way through the rest of the neighborhood. I love that. I love when older kids take younger kids under their wing. And, um, you know, that's just so beautiful. That's so beautiful. Uh, this is a shame and secret survey filled out by a woman who calls himself calls herself, I can't have daddy issues, I'm a lesbian, exclamation point. Uh, she's 19, uh, gay, raised in a stable and safe environment, uh, never been sexually abused, physically or emotionally abused, not sure. When I was growing up, my dad would always imply that I wasn't good enough. I love, oh my God, the degree we will go to to not say that something was abusive. Anyway, if I was proud over getting a B, he would ask me why I didn't get an A, always trying to groom me into intellectual perfection. When I got depressed at the age of 12, it escalated. I was suicidal, and he acted like it was an inconvenience to him. He told me several times to drop that wounded swan act and to stop acting like a bitch. But you're not sure if that's abusive. Oh my God. When I couldn't do something like going out to buy a new lamp with him, he would yell at me while I was crying. He needs His needs were always more important than my own. I've been told to forgive him that he did the best he could, that he was desperate and I should be the bigger person. Fuck that. I'm 19 years old. I shouldn't have to be a bigger person than my dad. I would agree. I would agree. And if you need to take a, ba- a, a break from him, um, I, I, I'm on the sidelines ready to give you a high five. Um uh, any positive experiences? Uh, yeah, sure. He is my dad. Uh, by the way, putting that in the present tense feels weird. He doesn't feel like my dad anymore. Fishing trips and many lectures at the dining table about how the Soviet five-year plans impoverished po- Polish out- agriculture was nice. Darkest thoughts that I wouldn't cry at my dad's funeral. The thought of his untimely death kind of comforts me. It feels worse since I don't know if what he did to me counts as abuse. Yes. What he did counts to you, counts as abuse. And emotional abuse is every bit as bad as physical or sexual abuse. Um, Darkest secrets. When I was 13, I had cam sex with several strangers, all men. I never saw their faces. I now know that I was used and exploited. uh, But for a depressed, insecure 13-year-old me, the validation felt good. Sexual fantasy is most powerful to you. (laughs) This one makes me laugh. Do you really want to know the most powerful sexual fantasies of a 19-year-old girl? Hardcore lesbian stuff is the most detailed I will get, you sick fuck. (laughs) What, if anything, would you like to say to someone you haven't been able to? I want to tell the whole fucking world that I'm queer and mentally ill and that it better get the fuck used to it. I'm so sick of living in shame. What, if anything, do you wish for? Love, intimate connections, a place where I feel like I belong. Have you shared these things with others? Uh, I've told my dad that he hurt me. He did not listen. It breaks my heart. 
How do you feel after writing these things down? Uh, like that angry little white upper class, upper middle class dyke looking for trouble where there is none. And some rage. Not sure where that came from. Just kidding. I know exactly where it came from. Is there anything you'd like to share with someone who shares your thoughts or experiences? Yes, your parents did indeed suck. Thank you for that. Thank you for that whole survey. And um, I really hope you can get to a place where you can give weight to what happened to you. You know, for me, it didn't really happen until I started being around healthier people. And that's when I began to uh, see the difference and see that my normal wasn't, uh, wasn't healthy. This is a, an awful some moment filled out by uh, Imoan. Imoan, I-M-O-A-N. She's filled out surveys from us before. She writes, uh, something happened last week that I just cannot get out of my head. My almost seven-year-old daughter and I were making her lunch in the morning before school one day last week. This is often a testy time for us because we're usually short on time and my coffee hasn't kicked in yet. This particular morning, I thought it was going well, but my daughter looked at me and said, I don't know why, but I feel like screaming right now. I immediately thought through the last few moments and blamed myself. I'm too hard on her. I expect too much from her. I should just make her lunch for her. I'm a bad mother. I don't deserve to have such an awesome daughter. I then asked her if she could tell me why and was it because of something going on right then. She looked at me and said, no, I just feel like screaming. I told her that I did too and asked her if we should just go ahead and scream together at the same time. She thought that was a good idea, and we grabbed hands and looked each other in the eye, and we screamed at the top of our lungs and then dissolved into laughter and then coughing as we were both battling colds. I was so proud of my daughter, recognizing this need to relieve some stress she was feeling and telling me about it. She felt safe with me, which totally negates all of the negative thoughts I was having about being a bad mother. God, is that beautiful. That is... That's like out of a it's like out of a movie. I saw that in a movie. I would just be like I'd just be like totally I can't finish that sentence. My brain is shutting down. Uh this is a shame and secret survey filled out by a woman who calls herself I think I'm an asshole. Uh she's straight in her twenties, raised in a slightly dysfunctional environment. Never been sexually abused, but she's been physically abused. Not sure if she's been emotionally. She writes, I've been manipulated by many friends and ex-partners. I think they take advantage of me because I find it hard to say no. Sometimes I feel like they know what my answer will be and just want to hear me struggle my way through an explanation. Any positive experiences with abusers? Some friends I have cut contact with, but I feel guilty for this because there were good times. Uh, they were there for me during breakups and work stresses. They had a lot of influence on me with drugs and alcohol as remedies uh, to these more difficult times. I decided for myself that I needed to live a better life without them. Darkest thoughts. My current partner is my best friend and I love him very much. Although every day that he leaves for work, I picture him having an emotional and or physical affair with one of his female friends. I compare myself to them and stalk them on social media. I daydream how I could be more like them to be more worthy of his love. Some nights when I arrive home from work, I picture walking in on him with someone else. I work myself into a horrible state, and it makes me suspicious in reality. When I walk in to find him doing his assignments on his computer, I hear his fate. Uh, when I, I hear his Facebook 
messaging alert go and imagine him having a conversation with another woman about how unattracted he is to me and how much he wants this other woman. Then back to reality. He turns to me, smiles, and waves me over to sit on his lap to give me a welcome home kiss. I feel so guilty for thinking he is capable of any of this until his phone buzzes and the cycle begins again. I want to recommend a a, a book uh, called um, Facing Love Addiction by Pia Melody. Uh, I'm not saying you're a love addict, but it might shed some some light on uh, on this stuff. Darkest Secrets. Uh, I've tried a few times to have threesomes with friends. We were young and experimental, but I was generally the one who suggested it. It never led to the act, but I would feel so frustrated afterwards. Then I'd wake up the next morning and feel guilty to even consider it and relieve that nothing actually took place. Uh, Sexual fantasy is most powerful to you. I enjoy a little rough sex daydream. What, if anything, would you like to say to someone you haven't been able to? To my boyfriend, I love you like crazy, but I don't want to be a burden to you when my insecurities hurt you. I wish I was strong enough to give you up, but I don't want to, and I really hope that you don't want me to either. What, if anything, do you wish for to be secure? You know, my feeling is, as I'm reading this, is is your boyfriend, more than anything, represents something to you that's that's not healed yet and all of this jealousy is is not about him or anything that that he does or doesn't do and i think if you were with somebody else it would probably be the same issue over and over again so that's why that's why i recommended that book and again i cook chicken on tv if you share these things with others i try to explain my feelings and insecurities to my boyfriend but i always sound like i'm accusing him of something and it hurts him he finds it hard not to get defensive because he knows he is not the kind of person I sometimes imagine him to be. I just end up feeling guilty and like I've ruined things. I think a therapist would be a great person to open up to about these things or a support group. Uh, How do you feel after writing these things down? Very sad. I feel like I know that I should not feel this way about my boyfriend and wish I would never feel this way again. It's so selfish of me. Is there anything you'd like to, you know what I think would be selfish would be to never get help about this. Or to just um, saddle your boyfriend uh, with trying to fix this uh, between the two of you because this is not about him. Is there anything you'd like to share with someone who I've just had a flash in my brain of everybody rolling their eyes and saying, oh my God, you pompous ass, shut your mouth and just read the survey. Is there anything you'd like to share with someone who shares your thoughts or experiences? Don't let your imagination control your reality. So fitting after I just said that thought that I was having. Don't make assumptions and remember to take a minute to rationalize before you hurt yourself or others more. Um, thank you for that. Thank you for that. And I don't think you're an asshole. That was her name. I think I'm an asshole. Uh, this is a happy moment filled out by Mama J, and she writes, I was in my early 20s and I had just finished work, which was at an after-school program for an elementary school. I'd been using a glue gun and burned my finger pretty badly. The pain was pretty unbearable, and usually I don't cry from pain, but despite being 21, this injury made me cry. I was living with my parents, and when I got home, my dad got me ice for my finger, and then I laid, curled up with my head on my dad's side while he lovingly pinched my arm and rubbed my shoulder. This moment stuck with me for two reasons. First, these moments with my dad... Uh, were rare, especially since I was growing up. And second, my dad is the one person that makes me feel completely safe. You know, the thing I'm struck by over and over and over again in the four years of reading these surveys is how 
little effort it takes on a parent's part to make their child feel safe, heard, felt, comforted, understood. this is, I love the, I love the names that you guys have for yourselves uh, in these surveys tonight. This is Shame and Secret Survey filled out by a trans male uh, who calls himself Lazy Asshole Cunt Boy. I fucking love you guys. He is 17. He's raised in a slightly uh, dysfunctional environment. Um, never been sexually abused, uh, never been physically abused, not sure if... Uh, he's been emotionally abused. Uh, <laughs> and get get ready for this one, this one that might be emotional abuse. Uh, he writes, my mother might count as emotionally abusive. My family and I are fairly certain she has borderline personality disorder. It's pretty clear that she hates herself with a passion, and she always takes it out on other people. She sucks all the energy out of a room. She loses her mind if she's not the center of attention and can't have a captive audience to talk about all her problems and get fake pity from everyone and anyone who wants to talk about something other than her is, according to her, a narcissist and needs help. She has bizarre mood swings and she'll say crazy stuff she doesn't even think just to hurt people. One second she's fine. The next second she's screaming at me that I'm not a boy and threatening to kick me out of the house. She once told me I was mentally ill needed serious help and that she was kicking me out of the house because I asked her to stop playing gospel music full volume on her computer in the next room at 1 a.m. while I was trying to sleep on a school night. She was singing along to it too. It was really off key. Another time she freaked the fucking hell out because the air conditioner in her room was slightly out of place. It seemed pretty clear to me that it hadn't been put in right, but she insisted that this was evidence that someone had clearly attempted to break into the house. When I told her that was probably really unlikely and that we really didn't, in fact, need to get an expensive new security system to protect ourselves, she called me a spoiled brat and told me that one day I would get a reckoning. That was the exact word she used a reckoning. It was like she wasn't even talking to me. She became so angry and self-righteous over a really basic conversation. It was bizarre and scary. She continued to believe that someone had broken in. She even started to come up with suspects. There's a kid with autism who lives down the street, she told me. I bet he did it. And I thought, great. She's homophobic, transphobic, racist, and ableist. She began to believe that someone was stalking her and trying to kill us because she saw the same car go down the street twice within a short period of time. I quickly noted that it was just the neighbor's car. Of course, it would be driving around our our road frequently. She's also a compulsive liar, and her favorite activity is relentlessly insulting people who are too afraid to stand up to her and laughing at her own insults like they're the funniest jokes she's ever uttered. Ever since I can remember, she's never passed up an opportunity to exclaim with a big, happy, bright smile on her face what a spoiled brat I am to other people, laughing as if she just said something incredibly hilarious as the other people awkwardly avoid eye contact with her. (laughs) But she might be emotionally abusive. That might go in in a Hall of Fame for... uh, underestimating or uh, marginalizing. Uh, Any positive experiences? Nope. 
I've never not felt sick and uncomfortable around her. Being around her makes my skin crawl. I don't believe in the idea that biology makes a family. Love makes a family. I owe nothing to her just for being my mother. I can't relate to that at all. Darkest thought, sometimes I fantasize about grabbing my mother by the hair, beating her, and throwing her down the stairs. I want to take my uh, life back. I feel so helpless having to be under her control. I need hormone therapy. I need my name and gender legally changed. I need top surgery. I am dying inside. But that doesn't matter to her because she still wants me to be a girl. And the law gives her the power to make decisions about my health. I truly hope that one day our legal system will consider denying medical transition and or uh, social transition to a transgender child uh, will be considered abusive. This isn't okay. Darkest secrets. If I could pass, my deepest secret would really be that I ever lived as anything other than male. Seeing a photo of me from before I came out makes me absolutely sick to my stomach. If I see a single photo of myself like that, it gets burned into my brain for hours and I try my best to shove it away, but it just keeps coming back to haunt me. If I could erase all evidence and memory of that from existence, I would. Um, uh, sexual fantasy is most powerful to you. Um, anything invo involving me having a fully functional penis. I love the idea of fucking my boyfriend and having him beg for more. I also have a recurring fantasy of a large-breasted woman in leather tying my hands behind my back and beating the ever-loving crap out of me, both physically and emotionally, uh, as I kneel on the floor. She's whipping me and punching me, insulting me. I'm cackle cackling and smiling toothily like a deranged maniac, begging her to make me feel something, anything. What if anything would you like to say to someone you haven't been able to? I want to scream at my parents that I'm not depressed and angry, that they won't let me transition because I'm not, because I'm, quote, not getting what I want to. Fuck you. I'm not some spoiled, rotten kid asking for a new car for my birthday. I am begging you to let me be free. I can't do this any longer. The pain needs to end. Being upset when I get misgendered isn't about getting mad at other, at the other person. It's a physical reaction that runs through my spine and makes my soul feel like it's going to vomit. I wish, I wish that everybody could hear your survey and understand what it can be like for somebody who is stuck in a house that is transphobic, among other things. But um, what, if anything, do you wish for? Hormone, hormone therapy would be nice. If you haven't figured that one out yet, I just want to be a normal guy. Have you shared these things with others? I tell my boyfriend a lot of this stuff, just as he tells me a lot of serious stuff going on with him. He understands because he's trans too, but I feel like I hold back a lot because I don't want to overwhelm him or scare him, even though he assures me that he would tell me if that happened. How do you feel after writing these things down? A little better, less depressed, but angrier. Although being pissed off feels better than being sad and numb. Thank you. Thank you for that. This is a happy moment filled out by a woman who calls herself Remarkably Unremarkable. And uh, she writes, I was sitting in an outdoor cafe somewhere in my 30s, typing on my laptop, writing something. I looked up from my laptop for a moment and realized that I couldn't remember the last time I had a panic attack. I smiled and felt no fear that any more would 
uh, would that any more would come. Then I woke up. It was such a benign, uneventful dream. I thought it might be a glimpse into an alternate reality, but it made me feel like that sort of relief was achievable somehow, somewhere. I thought to myself when I woke up, I'll get there someday. I'm not there yet, but the imagery from that dream stays with me every therapy session and keeps me moving forward. I'll get there someday. Thank you for that. This is a shame and secret survey filled out by, <laughs> again, uh, uh, a woman who calls herself lazy piece of crap. <laughs> I should I should put together some type of collage of the names that you guys come up with for these surveys. <laughs> it is so fantastic. Uh, she is straight. She's in her 40s. She was raised in a pretty dysfunctional environment. Uh, ever been the victim of sexual abuse? Some stuff happened, but I don't know if it counts. Uh, she doesn't elaborate. Uh, she's been physically and emotionally abused and do, does not elaborate. Um, darkest thoughts. I think about just getting in my car and leaving. I have kids to raise and I'm a single mother. Sometimes I think they'd be better off if I left one day while they were with their dad. Uh, just drive away as far as I can and leave behind my family and friends. I could drive to the West Coast and just sit on the beach and wait to die. Darkest secrets. I cheated on my husband when we were together. I've cheated on multiple boyfriends since the divorce. It's as though I need to validate myself as, quote, real by having affairs and getting attention from other men. Sexual fantasy is most powerful to you. Uh, I have a deep desire to be with a woman, but I can't tell anyone that. I don't consider myself gay. I want a woman who knows what she is doing and can get me drunk and high and then ease me into the sex. Um, You know, wanting to have sex with a woman um, or someone of the same sex does not mean you're gay. Um, And I wouldn't worry about labeling it anyway. Just, uh, you know, I'm going to just say that old cliche that sexuality is a spectrum and, and there is no, it's not a binary or, no, shut up, Paul. What if anything do you wish for? I wish for more money to be a more, quote, normal parent. I'm sitting on my ass in my living room watching Netflix while other parents are outside playing with their kids. Have you shared these things with others? No. These are not feelings that a self-sufficient, single, and responsible mother should have. Do you have any idea how many mothers feel that exact same thing that you just described? I've read thousands of these surveys. And what you are feeling is incredibly common. Incredibly common. I mean, it's... Yeah. Sending you a hug. This is a happy moment filled out by Lori. And she writes, "Um, I was reminded of this moment with my mom while listening to your podcast with Rama when she spoke of an awful thing her mom did. I realized my mom kind of did the opposite. In short, when I was maybe 15 or 16, my mom had a harmless secret she briefly kept from her husband, my stepdad. I knew about it. My stepdad asked me about it one day, and I told him the truth. I felt bad afterward, having obviously told him something that she wouldn't tell him. They must have talked about it because my mom came to me and asked me if he had asked me about it. I told her yes, and I must have apologized to her because the next thing she said was, of course you told him the truth. You're a good, honest kid. He shouldn't have asked you. 
that hadn't occurred to me, that maybe he was in the wrong and not me. That left a big impression on me, and I gave her a lot of credit for understanding that and making it so clear to me. My mom wasn't perfect, and we have our issues, but she would often nail stuff like this very perfectly. That's fantastic. Fantastic. And finally, we have a uh, happy moment filled out by a woman who calls herself M. And uh, she's in her 30s. And she writes, I was maybe 13 walking home from my friend's house. I had visited her with homemade soup because she was ill. It was a dense winter in New York. I was walking home alone after leaving her house. And I was dreading going home because of the secret and traumatic life I was leading behind those doors. I always dreaded going home. I thought to myself at that moment, walking in the cold, that there is no God. There is no one merciful watching over me, and not out of spite, but out of a feeling of being completely unworthy of being watched over. As I'm walking, I see something glisten in my periphery. I turn, and I'm able to see, among all the sparkling white snow and ice, something sparkling very distinctly by the edge of the sidewalk. I knelt down to pick it up and see. I brushed it off and found I was holding something that belonged to an absent necklace chain. It was the letter M in cursive, lined with fake diamonds. My name starts with an M, and I felt strange suddenly. I stood up, the M still in my hand, and and I looked around as if it were... um, Oh, I stood up, the M still in my hand, and I looked around as if I were looking for someone who had been reading my mind and planted it there. There was no one but me on the block. I looked down at the M in my hand and thought, well, maybe there is someone who lives in the house whose name starts with an M also, which my friend later found out was untrue. I don't really believe in signs or clear answers in the big scheme of destiny, but that was quite a moment of serendipity. I said out loud, okay, just in case something was, just in case someone was watching, in case the universe was listening and waiting for me to accept it like a gift. When I got home, I put the M on a chain uh, that I had, and I wore it on days I felt particularly alone. I still have it as an adult, married, working, having done more than nine years of therapy for my traumas. That M makes me feel a lot of things. Hope, mostly. Not clear confirmation and not always a comfort, but hope. And it is interesting that in a moment of hopelessness, I could let myself entertain the thought that maybe... The universe was regarding me by name, saying, M, you are not alone. Well, how do we not end on a fucking beautiful one like that? Well, um, I hope you guys uh, have uh, strength for this, the uh, the amen corner of uh, of the calendar year, uh, the Bermuda Triangle of uh, Thanksgiving to Christmas. Um, I hope if you're feeling overwhelmed or down, you do something nice for yourself or reach out to somebody. Um, I know I'll be taking lots of naps. Actually, uh, yesterday before uh, you know the said event sent me into a... Uh, self-involved frenzy of wanting to humiliate somebody publicly. Um, I was thinking, man, I had a good workout today, and I am just in a great fucking mood, and I haven't felt that way in a long time. 
Um, so I, I have some hope that maybe this won't be the typical uh, Thanksgiving to Christmas, how soon until I can nap again, a stretch of uh, 30 days. But I hope that if any of you are out there, you heard something tonight that um, brought you a little comfort, made you laugh, um, made you think, um, gave you inspiration. And if you're out there and you're feeling stuck, uh, just know that you are you are so not alone. You are so not alone. And uh, thanks for listening. Everybody I know is bizarrely beautifully Everybody fucked up I know in some weird way. Bizarrely beautifully Everybody fucked up in some weird way. Bizarrely beautifully Everybody fucked up in some weird way.